0: You're listening to Core Stories. I'm Emily Breff, and it is really an honor to get to sit with you to listen to these stories of courage, hope, and faith. Recently, I had the pleasure of talking with Susan Newman, our special needs ministry director. Because of my interactions with Susan, I knew she seemed to be full of nonstop energy and endless love for our children here at Otter Creek, especially those with learning differences and special needs but then I learned her zeal to press on is something at which she has become very practiced. She shares her story with me of blended families, fostering, loss, adoption, career, and transition. I was so blessed by our time together. I think you will be too, and thank you for listening.
1: My name is Susan Newman. I grew up I was actually born in Riverside, New Jersey, and then spent the first eight to ten years of my life in Leviton, Pennsylvania. And then after that, pretty much the next 40 years in Ohio. So I'm bouncing around Dayton, Cincinnati, Cleveland, and um, a small town, ended up in a small town named Finley, Ohio, which is in northwest Ohio. And for a period of two years, we left Ohio in 2004 to 2006 to um, be over in England, which was a great experience. Uh, We came to Tennessee uh, because our youngest daughter, Christina, went to school at Belmont, and she met a guy at Lipscomb University, and it was pretty apparent that they were going to be together and not coming back to Ohio. And by then all of our daughters had moved out of state. And we used to joke, and say, whoever had the most grandkids, that's where we were gonna end up. <laughs> and Chrissy, you know, I didn't have any kids and wasn't married yet, but <laughs> we ended up here. We would come and visit and just fell in love with this area. And when we decided to um, sell the business and move, this is, was an area we just absolutely adored. So we came here. We moved here um, almost two years ago. It'll be two years in July, 2016, and uh, I've loved it ever since. We knew we were pretty intentional about wanting to be a part of a church community when we got here. Back in Ohio, our church was in our neighborhood. We could walk there. It was a street away, and that was important to us uh, when we got here, and we felt overwhelmed by all the churches in Brentwood when we uh, were here house hunting and we came to house hunt over a weekend in it was I I think it was early May and that weekend we just drove around on that Friday and Saturday and looked at all the churches and then just decided to try one on Sunday and we picked Otter Creek, one, because it was on Franklin Road, and we happened to see it when we drove by, and two, because I thought the name was cute. So, we, um, we came to church, and everyone was so friendly, and Josh had a great sermon, and we loved it. And when we came back, uh, we moved in. We came back one more time before we moved in, came again. And when we moved here, we came again, and the timing was just perfect because they were forming the, uh, they had the luncheon for potential new members, and so everything was just laid out so well that we didn't feel the desire to go anywhere else. I was in Future Teachers of America from high school, and that's what I wanted to be, was a teacher. And then I took the long road to get there. I... um, finished high school early, and then started junior college, then I got married. So, I was married for eight years, and we had two beautiful daughters, and then I got pregnant with my third daughter, and my husband did not want me to have any more children. He felt that two was enough, and... For six months, he pressured me on a daily basis to abort her. And that was the beginning of the end of that marriage. And so after eight years, we divorced. And then I met Wayne, and he was just such a great dad, that's what attracted me to him, um, that he was so actively involved with his children and you could see how much he cared for them and he treated my children the same way and he was actually on the board of directors at the Child Development Center where I was the director and that's how we got to know each other. And we fell in love and we were married. I still really wanted to teach, and so I decided that I was going to talk to the state and see what I could do about writing a charter for a kindergarten program. And They told me what I needed to do, and it was just one grade level, and so I sat down and I wrote a charter to charter a kindergarten program within the Child Development Center and be the teacher there, so I could just get it all done at one place, and I did that for two years. And um, my youngest, Chrissy, was in that kindergarten program. And then I got offered a position in the public schools and um, learned so much there. I taught, it was in an inner city district and just taught pre-K, first grade, fourth grade, fifth grade, all over. And from there was asked to um, go with a a county district that, that was starting an autism unit. My first venture into special education. So, I um, had seven students from the age of eight to 21, and they were all over the spectrum. And it was such a learning curve. And uh, definitely realized that that was my calling and decided to pursue my doctorate then. And that was about the time that Wayne got a job transfer over to England. So my professor there in Ohio wrote a recommendation for me to the University of Bath in England, and I started my um, Ph.D. studies over at the University of Bath. Took two short-term positions over there, too, one working with um, girls in a private school that had dyslexia, and then the other working um, with, uh, as an assistant principal uh, year four teacher um, in a public school. And when we came back, about the time that my supervising professor took a sabbatical at Harvard, so I had the real blessing of being able to spend some time with him at Harvard while we were doing a pilot study on digit ratio, which is a long explanation, but looking at testosterone in the uterus at the 14th week of gestation and how that impacts autism and dyslexia. And um, so then I finished up my Ph.D., and was going to teach at university level, and one of my uh, grandparents of one of my students in that autism unit called me and said, would you work with my grandson? He is in this new program Ohio has called the Autism Scholarship Program, where they take public dollars and reallocate them to children who want private options, and I thought, hmm, all right, that sounds interesting, I could do that while I write my thesis, and so I set up a classroom in my home. He was 14 at the time, and he couldn't read still. And so we started working, and ate to three every day. And the next, the end of that year, I got a call from another parent who said, I hear you're doing this. Would you work with my son? Well just started growing and I had five students in my home and I thought you know we just really need to get somewhere where they can be more social social skills are important and so I rented some space in a church and that next year we had 15 students and then I had families saying would you do this here an hour away for us and so I opened a second space in another church well 10 years later 80 staff later and uh, two charters later, I had 200 students and um, we were serving um, children with not only with autism, but children with all disabilities and, and regular, ch- typical kids. And uh, the school had grown so big that I was missing the whole reason why I had gotten into it, which was to enjoy the one-on-one with the kids. And so I started looking for a company that did the same thing and would keep the mission but had the business aspect to really grow the schools and uh, I sold them in June of 2016 um having gone through a broken marriage and rebuilding um, a mixed blended family with Wayne was a very difficult time and um we you know that's a journey um then keeping, you know, we struggled having children from different marriages and then having the other parent who's not supportive of the new blended family made it a really difficult situation for all of us to really become a solid blended family. So that was a very, very difficult time for us to live through. And, you know, I remember somebody telling Wayne and I when we were in couples therapy that... It's not what people say to your children. It's the way you behave that's going to speak the loudest to your children. And that's really rung true as our children have grown up. Because there were lots of things that were being said. And people, you know, just our children hearing lots of things from the adults in their lives. But the the way that the adults behave or what they were able to understand was what was right and what was not right. Uh, so that was a difficult time. Um, I also think that, um, and through that time, Wayne's um, daughter, you know, Wayne had a, a son and a daughter who he and his first wife had adopted. And when she remarried, those um, uh, the gentleman she married, Um, abused both those children, but molested Wayne's daughter over a period of eight years. And we were in England when this came to light, and that was a really, really difficult time because as an advocate for children, I couldn't get my mind wrapped around the fact that her mother did not want to report it to the authorities and so I had to really become engaged and involved in that process and report it. And then we had to work pretty closely with the authorities and come back from England and go through that process and the trial and the sentencing. And um, and then sadly, um, even though we got custody, she didn't want to be with us. Um, she was, it was, a, you know, we later found out she was a victim of um Really being brainwashed by mom that mom was the victim too, even though mom was aware of what was going on. And so we have become estranged from both of his children as they're adults now, and that's been something that Wayne and I have had to grow and 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 really understand what God's purpose is in that. I think we still struggle with that, um, and then, um. I think probably, I don't know that this has been a struggle. I think it's been our biggest blessing has been Brayden, um, our soon-to-be seven-year-old um, who came into our life. And then And I have to take you back a little bit because when our children were young and we were a mixed family, we decided that we wanted to foster children as a way to show our children that um, that the life situations that they were handling could be worse and to really help them become servants of others. And so for seven years, we fostered and we had 21 children all and all come through our home. And so great, great young children that we still keep in touch with to this day. It's very interesting the things emotionally, mentally, and psychologically that happen to you when you foster. You, When we started with the idea that we were going to foster children, that the, the objective was to reunify these children with their families. And obviously, that's not always going to happen for these families. But over time, as you are a foster parent, I think and, and maybe not for everyone, but sometimes you lose your perspective. And you start to think, oh, is this child a child we could adopt? Or is this child a child we could adopt? And then your goal changes, which is not always in the best interest of the child either. And Wayne and I had, we had these, uh, we had this beautiful little girl we got when she was two days old. And she was with us until she was two. And then, um... DCS decided that she needed to be with a different family that um, was going to eventually adopt her, which broke our heart. And then I think the most interesting dynamic that happened was we got twin five-year-old boys, Jared and Jonah, I'll never forget. And they used to call me the mom, (laughs) and I loved them. I fell totally head over heels in love with them, and Wayne didn't. And it was such a hard thing to realize that that could happen that one parent might feel differently than another about a child that you are caring for and so we you know what what ended up um what ended our foster parenting was that we went overseas to england our last situation was we had a young teen mom and her two-year-old daughter which was really like enlightening and enriching for me just to help this young mom get her feet on the ground. But we went over to England for a couple of years and I worked on my doctorate and Wayne worked for Cooper Tire and Rubber. And then we came back with no intention of ever adopting or fostering again. And I started a business as a special needs school for children with autism. And Wayne went back to work in Finley and about five years into um, running my school, I had a situation where there was a family that had some DCS involvement, and the mother lost custody of the children, there were three children, and the grandmother got custody, and um, the grandmother had—one uh, of the three children was a student at my school. I had never met the other two children. Well, the grandmother and the grandfather came into my office on a friday afternoon and said well we found someone to take the little girl we're going to keep the little boy who's your student but we don't have anyone to care for the two-year-old and we don't know what we're going to do if we have to keep him another day it's not going to be good and so i thought they were really just asking for respite and i said well when i get off work at five i'll come over And I picked up some diapers, and I picked up some wipes and some food, and I went over there. And they had two garbage bags packed and sitting outside the front door. And they were waiting for me, and they handed him over to me. And I had to call Wayne and say, guess what I'm bringing home tonight, honey. And bless his heart, he was wonderful about it. But what we thought was just going to be a weekend ended up being a long period of time, and we worked really hard with the grandparents and the mother and DCS, and DCS was essentially saying, you have custody, we're good with that. And our attorney said, you can't write a reunification plan, you're not DCS. And DCS didn't want to write a reunification plan because they were happy with the placement. So after a year, we decided, you know, we were we had fallen in love with this little guy, and, and we knew the family situation a lot better and knew that it wasn't a good thing, and so we filed for permanent legal custody of him, and then mom wanted him back. and So we went for a year-long trial, and the judge determined finally at the end of that year that it was not in the child's best interest to return to the mom. And that she was not fit, and that even though we were not biologically related to him, he had been with us long enough that um, he should stay with us. And that was when he was four, and um, we completed his adoption on February the eighth. So we kind of feel like Abraham and Sarah, because you know I used to pray when we when I first got married. We talked about this last night that when we first got married we used to talk about well would be great if we had our own biological child and uh, we fostered all those children thinking you know we might adopt a child and then we stopped and thought that would never happen but I still kept praying that I w- we would have a child but not only a child a son <laughs> and look what God gave us So we feel very blessed but, you know God prunes us because there are parts of us that grow like trees in the wrong direction maybe we're heading down the road or making a decision or um, our life is growing somewhere that god doesn't feel it should be and before we can blossom or grow in a way that god wants us to he has to prune us and that's the painful part um and it's difficult to go through those times. So just like the things that we went through as a family and as a husband and a wife and with our children um, through divorce and, and blending our family, we had to be pruned in some ways and because we couldn't become a new family until God was able to do those things with us. But now especially as we grow in our faith all of us individually not just as a family but each one of us you know my my daughters who you know lived through that too and are not estranged with us are amazingly introspective about what happened in those times from a child's perspective you know and can Help us gain insight too. And we talk about that. Um, because it's an, it wasn't a black, you know, curtain coming down where um there was estrangement. There's been attempts at um re-engaging relationships with Wayne's children. Um, and for periods of time we're successful and then it falls apart. I think there's just so much damage from what they've been through, um, in their lives. And so we hold out hope that at some point in time that they'll find their way and that we'll be able to build those relationships. And the same thing with, um, with Brayden. I remember, the first time we brought Brayden on vacation on family vacation, and how difficult it was for our adult children to accept the fact that they had this new two-year-old brother. And they wouldn't. They didn't want him in the family picture, and they didn't want to include him. I know it was was really hard. Well, now it's brother Brayden, and um. Can he come and spend a week with us this summer? And, you know, he's such a big part of the family. And they have children. My three daughters, two of my three daughters have children the same age as Brady. And so that's been definitely God's choice to help all of us become a stronger family. But I just did my Enneagram, like, um, two weeks ago, and I'm a one, if that helps. (laughs) Which was no surprise to Wayne. The funniest part was when he was doing his, he kept redoing it and redoing (laughs) it and redoing it. Finally, I'm like, give me that thing. (laughs) And he's a five. So I think we balance each other out um, very well. He's a huge supporter of me. He's not me at all, but he goes with the flow. And that inspires me to just do anything that I feel like doing. And I think now, I have always been an advocate for children my entire life. Like, I was the only club I joined in high school, Future Teachers of America. <laughs> and so it's just inbred in me. And I, so, I get such joy out of seeing children grow and develop and engage. And, and so that inspires me a lot. And um, the relationships here are so warm. I think that's why we never felt the need to go anywhere else, because the, the relationships here are so are, are so warm and open. And when I thought about what I've learned from the adoption and the fostering and blended families, I think the biggest lesson that I've learned, and I'll, and I'll use the kind of the mission or motto here at Otter Creek, is that we all have stories. And, and we have stories whether we are born from the same mother or whether we're born from another mother. Our stories are created by God and the choices that we make. And it really doesn't matter where you are in terms of your family, whether you are the same color as the people in your family or the same background or you've had trauma before you come to your family because that's part of your story. What really matters is that your family knows your story, and has agreed to become a character in your story and to continue to write it with you. And that's what makes a family. I think the ways that an adult can encourage a a family that is a blended family or a family that might not be the traditional biological family, especially here at Otter Creek, would be... To be open to reading that book, that story, because knowing, having experienced living with children who come from and bring their stories into our home, they're not always willing to open their book because they're embarrassed about the pages within. And being, presenting yourself as, hey, I might have the same pages in my book as you do. Let's talk about that. And it's okay, and God loves all of our stories. I think that attitude of acceptance, almost in an exaggerated way, to children who've dealt with situations like that or, who, or families who are working through situations like that can be really welcoming, can help people who might be struggling. Um, in, in any way, because I know that as as a foster family twenty years ago versus a foster family now, where, you know we we adopted Brayden, but we're doing respite care now. Um, I it's it's completely different feeling. Uh, when you're young and you're doing it, there's you worry a little bit more about what other people think and what you're doing and what you're saying. Versus now, you're a little bit more comfortable being yourself, and so I think that if you, um, if you're able to understand and be open to families who are who are in those situations, um, it can really make a difference in their lives. Well, God showed up a lot in the last um, five years. Um, Brayden's going to be seven this year, and he came to us when he was two. And when Braden showed up, of course, at first I thought Braden was just somebody we were going to care for for the weekend, because I did that sometimes for families who just needed a break. When you're working with a child with special needs, you just need a break. But after a few months, I thought, Okay, God, what are you trying to say to me here? Is this like for real? Are you really answering my prayer that I've been praying for fifteen years? That you haven't an answered? Are you teasing me? It it was, it was hard. And then through the trial process, I think I've really showed up because having to sit and talk in trial about some of the most difficult things, because I had built a relationship with Brayden's mother, and we had worked really hard to try to reunify Brayden with his mother before we decided that just wasn't going to work. So then to have to sit in court and in some ways tear her down was, was hard. Uh, it, it tore us up, and it tore her up, and uh, it felt yicky, uh, just icky to have to do. And um, then the waiting, Um, so uh, it was a lot of my faith really grew through that process because I didn't feel that it was in the judge's hands as much as I knew it was in God's hands. And I knew it had been. I mean, my favorite thing to say, my favorite advice to give people is, your story's already written. It was written by God. You just get to wait and see what's going to happen. And so I would tell myself that over and over and over again, that God already knows how this is going to turn out. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah was past the age of childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I am worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? And I think about that, and I think about how long we waited for God to fulfill his promise to us.
0: Core Stories is a ministry of the Otter Creek Church in Brentwood, Tennessee. To find more stories, go to ottercreek.org/slash stories or follow us on Instagram at ottercreekchurch.